0: All right. Well, good morning again. I'm so glad that you all are here. Uh, if you weren't here last week, um, last week was sort of rough because Jesus told us to love our enemies. Now, I confessed that I have a hard time doing that. And... Um, this week I've had to deal with it continually. Did you know that I have to deal with what the preacher says on Sunday too? So, so I am working through this, and uh, it was funny because Friday night we were at the game where the the Saints won a good uh, football victory, and uh, there was someone there that was just so uh, annoying to me. Uh, you know, everything they did and and just they annoyed me to death. And I was like, Lord, you have sent this for me to learn an object lesson about how to love people that are getting on my nerves. Uh, you know, if I had preached last week on tithing and you didn't tithe, then you could say, OK, I can fix that. And you could go and you could get bank draft set up or whatever you want to do and you could go done that's accomplished i don't have to deal with that anymore but when it's something like loving your enemies that is a constant challenge for us isn't it well i've been challenged uh the good news is that the lord brought it sharply to my attention though and has me working on it and i hope the same can be said of you now when we looked at that instead of trying to figure out why maybe he didn't really mean what he said We saw that he did really mean what he said. And then we looked at how we can only obey such a seemingly impossible command through the power of the Holy Spirit and with an understanding of the gospel. Well, Jesus' direct and unapologetic truth continues this week. So let me ask you again this week to have the courage to deal with what exactly Jesus says. Now, some of you are not going to like it. Uh, I know this because in the in the church where I came from, this very sweet lady came up to me after hearing a sermon sort of like this, and she said, "You know, I have a niece who has been out of the church her whole adult life. Um, she doesn't want anything to do with the church or the you know, or the people of God. But the people of God are the church. But she was saying she doesn't want to have anything to do with that. Um, she's not really living for the Lord, but." It's okay because when she was twelve, she made a profession of faith and was baptized. Now that is a comforting self delusion, guys, and it's uncomfortable to have that comforting self delusion <laughs> ripped away. Um, when I was talking to Catherine about the sermon yesterday, she said, "Well, it is. It's that that is hard because when you're comfortable and and you're self deluded about something, and you have that ripped away, that's painful and." Uh, I decided, y'all going to think I'm stupid, I am stupid, but I decided one time that it would be a great idea to wax my nose hairs, right? And once you get into that, there's no pulling out of that commitment. And what's bad is once you rip one of them out, you're like, well, I can either walk around with a stick in my nose for the rest of my life, or I can just rip the other one out. So I'm crying, my kids are on the floor, they're crying too, because they're laughing, you know, and my eyes are running. But anyway, so I know it can be hard to have this kind of thing uh, ripped off at one time, but let me tell you, it's going to be worth it, because Jesus' truth is better than our comforting self-deception. Now, some of us are masters at self-deception. You know, consider what we do at New Year's, right? We make all these resolutions, and we don't We don't keep them. Buying a gym membership, though, that you don't really use, it's a silly waste of money, but it's not nearly as harmful as the self-deception that allows you to keep quiet about the gospel around your lost friends and family. When I was reading uh, through this, I was seeing what Jesus was saying in the passage, and you know, it gives you, if you're not used to this truth, it's brings the unpleasant experience of being hit in the face with something that you were trying to deny, like the sweet lady that I was talking to at First Baptist. She She was a great lady. She loved her niece. She wanted the best for her niece, and therefore she had convinced herself that somebody who has no present relationship with Christ or Christ's bride, the church, was nevertheless in relationship with him. Now we're going to read our passage today one bite at a time because these are these are bites that have to be thoroughly chewed. So remember where we ended last week. Jesus told us to keep the logs out of our eyes so that we could see to remove the speck out of our brother's eye. Now, last week, Drew had a little metal shaving go under his safety goggles and into his eye. And the brother literally had a speck in his eye, and I didn't use that as an illustration. <laughs> so, that was a missed opportunity, Drew. Next, next time we preach this, you're going to have to do it again, and I will, I'll use that <laughs> as an example. All right, so remembering where we left off, uh, first we're going to see that what's on the inside shows on the outside. Look with me, if you will, in Luke 6, starting in verse 43. Now, the Apostle John learned this lesson well when he heard it from his Lord, and he wrote this in 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now we know both from the testimony of scripture and from practical experience that neither Jesus nor John is describing sinless perfection. John goes on to write in the following verse, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, not perfectly, and not all the time, but in the big picture, good trees bear good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. Now, the reason that some of us do not like that is that we know and love some people who do not bear good fruit. And the objection that I hear is always the same. Uh, people will say, well, my niece, or my whoever, is a nice person, she loves her family, she treats me well. The problem with that is, remember last week, we read in Luke six thirty-two through 34, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So someone being a decent individual who cares for their family and pays their taxes and is not a criminal is not displaying definitive proof of good fruit. Now all those who do produce good fruit spiritually also do those things, right? They're good neighbors too. But look with me again at what Jesus says in verse 45. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Notice Jesus talks about the good person. What is the definition of a good person? Well, it's a person who has been made into a new creature. I think you guys know that my favorite passage of scripture, if you can have a favorite, is Second Corinthians five about seventeen through twenty-one. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come." So, the good person is a person who has been made into a new creature, or it's a person who has been given a new heart. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-two through twenty-seven describes the coming salvation that is going to be available after Christ. Listen to what it says. It says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take from you, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now here's the, here's the key passage here. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh that is another description of salvation so first we see that the saved person the new the good person that Jesus is talking about is one who has been made into a new creature or another way to say that it is somebody that has had their heart of stone removed and been given by God a heart of flesh And he says, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus means a person who has been saved. We tend to think of a good person as someone who is like us or maybe a little better behaved than we are. When we compare ourselves to one another, though, that is like one skunk deciding if another skunk smells good or not, right? We are not the standard. And if we start comparing ourselves to one another, we can uh, become very confused about what a good person is. Jesus is speaking about those who have been saved and those who have not been saved. The saved person bears good fruit. The unsaved bears bad fruit. Now, you may say, well, can a lost person do good things? I mean, yeah, a lost person can be uh, very involved in philanthropy. They can have conservative values. They can be a good politician. Um, They can be a politician we might vote for in November. They can be decent individuals. Here's the problem. During World War II, if you found a guy who was a very conscientious soldier, he cared about the men under his command, uh, he was efficient, he was effective, he followed orders well, all those are good properties, right? Well, if he were fighting in the German army for the Nazis, he would still be on the wrong side, right? Right? So being a good and conscientious soldier in the wrong army still has you in rebellion to God. So how do we tell if someone is bearing good fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked, because in Luke 6, 46, Jesus tells us, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? If you want to bear good fruit, you do what Jesus tells you to do. Now, first thing is first, though. You have to be saved. You know, being a thorn bush and trying to produce figs is no good. It's, it's futile. Let Jesus make you into a new creature. He can change you from a thorn bush into a fig tree, and then making figs is what comes naturally, right? You know, we talk about living the Christian life, doing the things Jesus tells us to do. We can't produce good fruit if we're the wrong creature, But if we are changed, if we're made into a new thing and we go from a thorn bush to a fig tree, then instead of bearing bearing good fruit being a burden, it's what really should be produced naturally from the new creature that we are. And that's why I say that, look, living the way that Christ wants us to live is not a burden. It's just the outworking of Christ in us and what we ought to actually be doing because of who we are. So Luke 6:46 says why do you call me lord lord and do not do what I tell you. Man, that's a profound and convicting question, isn't it? You know, you can when when you say lord, you mean master. It doesn't mean just hey guy or a mister, it means master. And there's no saying no to your master. If you, if you say no to him, then you do not treat him as Lord. If he is Lord, if he's not Lord, he's not Savior. Guys, there's this teaching that I absolutely abhor that says you can come to Christ initially as your Savior. And then as you mature in the faith, you can eventually make him your Lord. Well, first of all, nobody makes him Lord because he is Lord. But second of all, if you don't come to him as Lord, then you don't come to him as Savior. We can see that clearly in the instance where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, what do, you, what do you need? And he looked on him with love and compassion. And this guy said, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? And uh, Jesus said, well, obey the commandments. And he said, man, I've done that since I was little. Well, he didn't understand the commandments, obviously, or he wouldn't have made that statement. But Jesus doesn't confront him and say, no, that's not true. He says, okay, well... Um, Sell all your stuff and come follow me. And the very first commandment, right, is you shall have no other God before me. But this guy had his riches as his God. So he didn't even, he hadn't even obeyed the first commandment. And he went away sad. Now, if you could come to Jesus as Savior and then eventually come to him as Lord, Jesus would have had to run, catch him, and say, All right, I was just kidding. You don't really have to sell your stuff instead you can come to me as Savior and then eventually as you progress maybe I can talk you into putting me first that's not how that worked so we see that if you come to Jesus as your Savior part of that is repentance where you make him officially and acknowledge that he is Lord now we said earlier that in life we're not going to obey perfectly but if Jesus is your Lord you'll be trying to do the best you can to obey him When you learn about an area in which you're not obedient, you'll try to change that. Like I've been doing all week, dealing with loving my enemies. So here's the deal. We don't usually have uh, visual uh, aids to help us learn. But you can have one of these things. You can either have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you can reserve the right to say no to him. One of those things but not both of those things. And guys, if you're saying, well, dude, you don't, you don't obey perfectly, do you? No, I don't. But my intention and my desire is to say, yes, Lord, to everything he says. And then as John told us, when I fail, I come to him and I confess my sins, and he so uh, wonderfully forgives those sins. But guys, we cannot have it both ways. We either say, Lord, and mean it, Or we reserve the right to say no to him. Choose wisely. If you choose wisely, let me show you what that will mean for your life. Or really, we'll let Jesus show you because he says in uh, verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what that is like. So Jesus says, if you decide that you're going to say Lord to me and mean it, let me show you what that looks like. So you can call him Lord and build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Or you can reserve the right to say no and and not have a foundation and be washed away when the flood comes. The flood of God's judgment is the ultimate flood that is going to wreck those who say no to him. So build your life on the rock. Do you want your life to be a fortress or a sandcastle? I mean all of your life, not just the part you're experiencing right now. Uh, you all have probably heard of the missionary Jim Elliot. Let me tell you what, uh, what happened to him in 1956. American missionaries Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Peter Fleming, Ed McCulley, and Roger Udarian had spent three months preparing for a face-to-face meeting with the primitive Aka Indians of Ecuador. It was to be the first step in establishing relationships that the men and their families hoped would eventually lead, to the, lead the Akas to Christ. Instead, on January 6, 1956, after the men reported landing and meeting with a few Akas, they were ambushed and killed. Nevertheless, within two years, Elizabeth Elliott, Jim Elliott's widow, and Rachel St., Saint, Nate St.'s sister, were living among the Akas. Over time, many of the Akas repented, turned to Christ, and became ministers to their own people the martyr's story became a touchstone for the modern Protestant missionary movement. Now, except for what Jesus did for me, that is the clearest case I know of someone truly loving their enemies. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot both clearly built their lives on the rock of the Lord Jesus. One had a short life that ended in martyrdom, and the other had a very long life and was able to see the fruit of her labors. Jim Elliot, though, is experiencing the peace and the presence of his Savior and awaiting that glorious day of resurrection. Now, we're tempted to see his short life as a waste, aren't we? We think, gosh, what could he have accomplished had he not been killed? But in his diary, Jim Elliot wrote, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. And probably his best known quote is, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Now even if you make the wrong choice and decide to build your life on the sand, you may have a long life, but to what end? Matthew 16, 26, Jesus says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Guys, we must not waste the time and opportunities we have been given. We need to go all in. As I heard Spurgeon say, and I I didn't get the exact quote, but the essence of what he said was, if you want to be miserable, be a half-hearted Christian. Because if you're a half-hearted Christian, you can't enjoy the things of the world without repercussions. I mean, you know that God says those whom he loves, he'll chasten, right? So you can't be a happy, carnal Christian. And if you're halfway in, you don't enjoy the benefits of the fellowship and unity with the body. You don't enjoy the, the wonderful community that we can have in church. You don't enjoy the depths and the riches of the word of God because you don't read it. So he said, if you want to be miserable, be a halfway committed Christian. Guys, don't do that. If you're not, if you're not serious, just stay home and sleep in. If you are serious, let me encourage you to go all the way in. Guys, read the Word of God. Gather with the saints. And I I was complaining earlier. I know it's hard to do that right now. But as soon as possible, we're going to have our Sunday schools. We're going to have our small groups. And that is just integral to the life of the church, being with one another. You know, we've talked about spiritual gifts. And the reason God gives us spiritual gifts is for the edification of the church. Now, on Sunday... Uh, we get to observe jimmy's gifts and we get to observe my gifts but the rest of the church we don't but when we gather in small group we get to benefit from the gifts of the holy spirit that are given to the whole church and let me tell you there's uh one of the books i'm reading for uh, one of my classes he said there's three stages to the life cycle of a church now there are more elaborate schemes but i like this because it's simple it says there's the risk taking stage, the caretaking stage, and the undertaking stage. Okay? Now, I believe a healthy church would go from the risk taking to the caretaking to the risk taking to the caretaking and alternate between those two. Guys, if we get to where we can't take risks, we're going to eventually go to the caretaking and the undertaking. And you may say, well, were, we're already there. I agree, but we've got to change things in order to get back to where we will be risk takers because it's worth it for the advancement of the kingdom. As a church, let's go back to where we can dream big dreams and take risks for the advancement of the kingdom. As individuals, let's desire a full life fully devoted to Jesus because as Jim Elliott told us earlier he is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose now we're going to have an invitation in a moment and we're going to stand and we're going to sing and if you're here today and you say hey I'm not certain that my life is built on that rock I know about Jesus and I know about church and I've been coming to church but you know, you were talking about going all in a minute ago. I've never gone all in. If that's you, come up and we'll we'll talk about what salvation is and what the gospel is.